Have you ever thought how to speed up your IT career? Have you ever thought why some engineers, architects, leaders and scientists are more successful than others? My name is Lukasz Karwacki and I love asking questions. I invited here many industry experts with different backgrounds and point of views. This is Engineering Growth Club Podcast. Welcome on board. Hi, and very warm welcome to our special guest today, Jason Matai, Design Thinking and UX Evangelist. Hi, Jason. How are you doing today? Very well, Lucas. Thank you so much for having me around. Thanks a lot. I'm really excited because it's a new subject for me, to be honest. So let's talk a little bit about design thinking. Would you be so kind to just describe design thinking in a couple of words? Just let's assume I completely have no idea what is it. Absolutely. I mean, I'd love to. So um, now there are different uh, ways to describe design thinking. I mean, if you take if you pick up uh, 10 textbooks on it, you'll get 10 different definitions. So I'm, I'm not going to give you a definition for sure. But what I would like to do is I would like to, you know, break it down for you. So design thinking for me is a is a mindset is a process wherein it's human-centric, collaborative, iterative, and it is used to solve complex problems. Now, when I say complex problems, what is known as the wicked problems. Now, by wicked, what it means is that problems that are completely ill-defined or where there are too many parameters that can change rapidly, making it a very dynamic environment in which you have to design. So those kind of problems or those kind of design spaces are called uh, wicked problems. And it has been researched for, I think, decades now on how to handle uh, these kind of wicked problems. And design thinking is, I would say, accumulation of all the uh, design techniques that they have been researching since 1950s, for instance. All right, that's great. I'm just wondering, you mentioned that it's a mindset and for how to resolve complex problems and very human-centric. So I was just wondering because uh, I used to be a software engineer for years, yes, and what I learned that if you've got a complex prog- problem with many, many dynamic parameters you mentioned earlier, you just split it into small steps to resolve it step by step. Is it the kind of same approach or a completely mistaken? No, it is actually. Uh, I, I believe what you're talking about is an agile way of doing it. Agile and uh, design thinking definitely are uh, very closely related. Maybe I'll touch upon that uh, somewhere down the line. But first, let me explain the three different characteristics of design thinking. Like I, like I said, we, as me being an engineer, uh, software engineer as well, we would break it down into smaller chunks. But in design thinking, it's human-centric or user-centric. So there are three aspects of design thinking, hu- uh, human desirability, technical feasibility, and commercial viability. Now, mm-hmm. these are three different aspects of the solution that we are going to bring up. And mm-hmm. design thinking ensures that the human desirability takes the lead when it comes to designing a solution, be it a product or a service. What happens normally is that if you ask, um, if I was to put on my engineer hat and look at a problem, I would look at it from technical terms. For me, the solution would be, ha, I can use this database. Ha, I can use that sorting order. 
or maybe I can use this uh, language too. We think in a very engineering or a technology oriented manner and our thought process while it is empowered by the technological advancements it is also constrained by the technological uh, limitations that we have so by just thinking of with the technical feasibility part of things we are not innovative enough we will not be innovative enough similarly if i put on my for example a product owner or a product manager hat cost quality and scope and those would be my constraints so my solution would be predominantly influenced by these factors and on the other hand if i put on a complete uh, user centric hat then i would be wondering like okay who are my users what are their pain points what are the jobs that they're trying to do and what are the value that they're looking for so what design thinking does is that it ensures that all these three thought processes are aligned with a central focus on the user desirability part of things and when these three factors are well balanced that's when an innovative product or a, a service comes up that's when the innovative solution comes up so okay uh, it's user-centric actually i believe any solution we deliver it should be user-centric because this is by people for people you mentioned about three ingredients human technical and commercial and i think we always need to bring some commercial value which can be used by humans also you mentioned something about technical constraints i understand in uh, design thinking we don't really focus on technology we focus on uh, commercial value which helps people to fulfill their tasks or fulfill they they're supposed to do or finish their project this is what i think so is that in design thinking is it possible to switch technology from technology very uh, like very smoothly because it's not the technology is not the solution but the value and the human behavior is the solution absolutely actually that brings brings us to the next aspect of design thinking which is very crucial the team that actually does design thinking the team that does design thinking or which is trying to solve the problem for the user is very crucial and it is recommended that this team be multidisciplinary wherein you have uh, user researchers ux experts product managers uh, and technology experts in there and when you have this multidisciplinary combination of people trying to solve a problem you are actually bringing in multiple perspectives into the same problem and the interaction between these different perspectives leads to a more innovative product okay so this sounds like an experience which i already have that it's like agile team agile team is multidisciplinary team and this in design thinking i see is exactly the same the team is the most important part the key player of the process and this is what you said it's very important that if we have separate teams with some special skills and all the team members they got one or few special skills we see the problem for one angle some design thinking when you got multidisciplinary team we can see the same problem from different angles which helps us to deliver full solution or independent solution this is what i understand so a good question as more maybe personal now what's your motivation that you like so much design thinking what's your why about this <laughs> actually um, it's actually a very good question i mean it's something that made me reflect why am i so interested so maybe i'll take a moment to tell you a story that happened when i was a kid when i was a kid my my grandfather had had a television probably that was the only television in in a, in an area so all our kid 
all the kids used to you know go to his place to watch television and it's it's not like uh, today's ones it was the old CRT one the heavy ones not uh, not like the LED ones that even my child can uh, uh, shake up so but that didn't have a remote and later when I relocated with my parents to uh, Doha in Qatar where I was brought up we had a television with a remote in it and now I was very curious because I didn't know why, uh, what uh, I was probably like 10 12 years old and I didn't know what the remote does or why we needed a remote I was like we can always go and we can always walk to the television switch it on and off we can always walk to the television change the channel and that's how it works so I asked this very same question to my mom that time why do you need uh, a remote and I think she was the first person who actually gave me the first design lesson always make it easy for your user and then she explained like I can still change my channels but I don't have to leave my uh, uh, sofa I can still switch it on and off but I don't have to move from my place so it's easier for me as a user and that was I guess my first uh, design lesson but what she (laughs) what she didn't tell me was it's easier for her to hide the remote so that I don't switch it on when I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great story. Thanks. So, uh, so that's that's where I mean I think that's where it all started. Uh, the the first spark was there, and then I started off as a mainframe developer, and it, it yeah. was for me it was a little difficult because uh, it was too far away. As a mainframe developer, you're mostly in the back office. You don't have any uh, user interaction, and the re- and the requests you get are like uh, give me a report of. So for for me, some uh, I like to interact with people. I like to interact with users, and uh, that kind of motivates me. Trying to understand what is the task that they do, uh, being curious about that, I think that comes a bit naturally to me, and because of which I couldn't uh, continue as a mainframe developer for a long time. I had to switch careers after three years, and uh, I came into my current organization. I'm able to interact more with the users. I'm getting opportunities to actually see uh, and people doing stuff and seeing how they're using our solutions, seeing the pain points, seeing the gains firsthand. And I think that is a huge motivation for me to, you know, adopt design thinking as well as, you know, sustainably run it throughout my career. Okay, so I, I see here two takeaways from this story. Always make it easier for your users. Always have in your mind that you are helping them to fulfill their daily tasks. And the second one, which to be closer to users because you get motivation from human interaction. That's correct. Yeah. It's very interesting how you switch your career because a mainframe developer sounds like a little introvert away from any users, just very, very technical focus role. And the design thinking role sounds like more human-oriented role. So it's an amazing progress. Actually, I wanted to ask you also about the design thinking journey, but you already gave me the answer. It's uh, it's really interesting with the remote control story, how it brings that you can you can walk back to your early life and can see how your mindset was developed. But when we were talking a little bit before, so you also said that you are a UX advocate. How is it linked with design thinking? So UX advocate is a role that I took up probably three years ago, three, four years now. So uh, it's basically a person who champions user experience in his product team. This person need not be a design thinking coach. This person need not be a developer. 
And this person need not even be a UX expert, but all this person needs is the motivation and the uh, inclination to champion user experience in the solutions that's being built by his team. For me, it was it was a natural uh, choice because, again, going back to uh, the users part of it, it motivates me as uh, personally to see users and how they use our products. But design thinking, I think, has actually helped me advocate UX better in my team because as a design thinking coach, you are able to, you know, articulate your users need, put them into, you know, describe them as personas, describe them as point of view statements, come up with ideations and, you know, balance the three aspects. So uh, balance the human aspect with the technical aspect and commercial aspects. So it becomes all the more easier for you to advocate when you're able to talk both technology, when you're able to talk user, and when you're able to talk business. It's like how if if you're an activist, you need to have a solid uh, understanding of the law. If you're a lawyer, yeah. you become a better activist. Yes, that's very true. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what I realized that it's, it's easier to advocate a user experience when you are able to understand and balance both your architect's needs and your product manager's needs. So now I've got this question. When you're talking about these three areas like human technology and commercial value, there are a couple of free gradients. They might be completely visible in different ways. So how do you process the common language in between all of three to each other area to be understood by all the stakeholders who are involved? I mean, the, the, the technical team, also the commercial team and just in general users. It's actually, uh, first and foremost, you need to have the buy-in of your uh, management once you have that then it's that is very crucial i mean you need you you need to have everybody on board to say that okay the language that we are going to use now is going to be user centric and there are multiple ways by which we develop this language and there are tools uh, such as personas for example i think that is mm-hmm. the first and foremost uh, aspect of it like we stop referring to uh, the people who use our software as users because user is a very vague and generic term instead of that we develop personas which makes which gives more clarity to the user form a persona is basically a snapshot a human represents what is the person trying to do with your product what is the value that he sees in your product or why should he choose your product so the moment you start talking in terms of personas, you stop referring to the uh, to the people who use your software as users, which is a very vague term. Going forward, once you have your personas, you try to understand the, their journey or how they use their product. Now, previously, there used to be many multiple documents, which ne- not necessarily in a human-centric form. It would be more of a technical document or an architectural vision things like that. But when you use user-centric language, you develop something called as customer journey, wherein the focus is on the persona and his touch points with your product. Going forward, you develop uh, the empathy map, which is again another tool that we use to understand the various emotions that our persona is going through 
when he's trying to get something done. This is very interesting. Empathy map, business user, a particular business user, like let's make a store like an, I'm an accountant and I'm doing something. So do you mean that also you think about emotions which I can develop while using the software? Absolutely. Let me give you an example. Again, using the same hypothetical scenario of an accountant. Let's say an accountant's, one of the primary jobs of an accountant is closing of books or closing the account or you know consolidating the account there are different terms that different companies use it and this is normally done in a very short window towards the end of the month so the emotional state of the accountant while performing this activity would be stressed because he's under a time pressure and that stress would definitely make error prone and or also irritable because if he's trying to get his uh, things done and if if it's becoming difficult there is a chance that he might become more irritated with the product so mm-hmm. when you consider all this you try okay you want to know okay he's looking for a particular information so when he's trying to consolidate his accounts he's looking for the consolidated <clears throat> figure mm-hmm. so as your product your product should not kind of you know bury the consolidated figure somewhere down three screens down the line but that should be one of the first things that he sees on the screen consider so that would actually give him a sense of um, a sense of relief a sense of comfort already and thereby help him reduce the stress that is inherent with the activity that he's doing okay this brings me to the conclusion that the user should see everything what they need on the screen and they be very simple to understand this is very interesting because i think google and apple they are genius with the UX process because that's Google is so simple. You just type in a human language question and you get the answer. I don't know if you remember that ages, ages ago, there was a search engine which was called altavista.com. And it was ages, ages ago. I remember Yahoo. It was cluttered. Oh, yeah. Yahoo. Yahoo actually, I think, exists, but they changed their the way uh, what they do. Mm-hmm. But this browser engine, search engine is, was completely, very complicated. And Google brought this very simple thing, which I think, which make me like now I think that what kind of emotions uh, I have when I Google something. So it's so simple. I just I don't need to tick any boxes. I don't need to uh, look in subfolders or categories. And um, this is I, I understand what you meant that I'm relaxed because I'm safe. I feel safe that uh, if I ask a question, I get some answers. I'm not saying that I find the data or not, but just it doesn't trigger me. I'm not confused at least. Exactly. So I like the idea. I've never had that about empathy map, to be honest, Ilya. And uh, actually, when developing software, I've never thought about like emotions which can have users while using the software. So it's pretty good takeaway. Okay, and uh, user-centric language. Okay, user-centric language. This is this is the main factor which helps us to deliver. We had people from different areas, so. What do you do? Do you sit together and you, for example, build a, a confluence page with like terminology, which you will be using to make sure that this word, it does mean everywhere the same, because we, we can be confused in different areas of business. The same naming convention can completely mean something different, which might be very confusing and and actually leads to misleading or misunderstanding. Correct. So when it comes to terminology, we try to use the terminology that is uh, understood by the user himself or the the persona. I must not say user. Um, It's the persona. So if a persona calls, uh, let's say, if he calls it books, we try to stick to that one as well. We call it books as well so that you feel more connected with the persona. And uh, there's another uh, tool also that we use to ensure 
the translation of this from a user perspective to the, the technical team perspective is done more smoothly. We use the user story mapping technique wherein the user needs are mapped uh, small snippets of information. These are not exhaustive lengthy essays or uh, documents but these are a short and crisp capture of each item what the user is trying to do and again from the user's perspective. This helps the team adopt the language that is understandable by the user and uh, closer to him. More than the terminology, I believe it is the uh, it's the idea that you try to convey. You try to convey it in a manner that uh, that demonstrates value for the user. To wrap up this answer, this means that whatever you language use, it's a user-centric language, but it's focused on what users understand. I think we should uh, schedule a couple of next uh, conversations because I wrote uh, like user story and pattern map customer journey, user centric language. There, that's this. I think we should have like every single topic as a new conversation. I think because to go to details, I guess. Okay, just to wrap up this conversation. One, always think and make it easier for your users. Absolutely. And number two. Uh, in user interactions, it brings motivation. Of course, some people can have more motivation or less motivation because it's very individual. This sometimes can bring you happiness because you see the users use your software. Sorry, maybe I could add something there? Yes, please. It's the word that we use commonly is empathy. Always empathize with your user and that empathizing activity can be motivating. Okay, empathizing. This is uh, This is something to remember. User-centric language means that you need to make sure that all users, they understand what you're talking about the same way you think you're talking about. And very important, don't call your users users. Think about them as personas because users, users are one thing, but personas are type of users. So you need to understand how personas uses particular part of the software and different personas, they have different goals. Absolutely. So that's my takeaways from this conversation. Okay, Jason, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you. First time, hopefully, to catch up uh, in a few months again because uh, I'm just really interested in other things. Thank you. It was great. Thanks. Thank you, Lucas. I had a good time as well. I mean, thank you so much. Thank you. And there is something else. Remember to follow the podcast so you won't miss next episode. Cheers. <laughs>